This is episode 166 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Kara Jones. She's an SLP who specializes in adult dysphagia. She received her master's degree at the University of Buffalo, same as me, except we didn't know each other then. Um, Kara works in the acute care setting at Wellstar North Fulton Hospital in Roswell, Georgia, where she completes modified barium swallow studies and fees. Kara feels most at home in the critical care and neuro ICU. Kara is president of the Georgia Speech-Language Hearing Association, GASHA, and is a four-time ACE Award winner. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Kara. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So, as I said, I absolutely hate that this is the way that we're meeting, but I'm really glad that you're able to kind of share your story with everybody. I'm, I'm really happy to share my story, too, and, and hopefully nobody has to go through what I went through. Yeah, yeah. So I always, I, I've met Kara oh, a few years back. We'll talk about our past in a little bit, but, you know, I just always wanted to have her on someday, and, and this was not exactly the topic I thought we'd be covering, but <laughs> I'm very grateful for you to come on, Kara. So um, just give the people a little introduction about who you are. Okay. Well, my name is Kara Jones. I'm a speech language pathologist. I live in the Atlanta area in Georgia. Um, I've been practicing for nine years and I work in the acute care setting. And uh, I'm here to tell about my experiences with COVID-19 as a um, patient myself. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, this wasn't wasn't the conversation I had hoped to have, but I'm super glad that we're having it. So yeah, Kara is an acute care clinician, just like many of you that listen to this podcast, except she actually is one of the unlucky ones that did contract COVID-19 and she had it pretty rough to say. And I think it's really admirable, Kara, that you, you know, you kept quite a journal of how you were feeling and symptoms and, you know, things that people just kept hearing might happen. And you're like, yep, today I'm experiencing that. So yeah, where should we start? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we can, we can take it back to the beginning way back in. uh, I will take it back to the summertime. So in the summer is when COVID hit really hard in the South. And I was seeing a lot of COVID patients as part of my daily job in acute care. Um, And so I'm the only full-time one. So I really thought like, I'll just see all the COVID patients. It's not a big deal. Like, I'm just gonna go and see them all, you know, and, and see these regular patients. So I was, there were days when I was spending the entire day in what I like to call COVID land, COVID county, COVID town and really working with patients who had come off the ventilator and now needed to be able to eat and swallow again. And, uh, you know, I think I was trying to do everything I could to protect myself from the virus. So 
Um, every hospital and facilities was doing it differently, but they were giving us scrubs to change into. So I wasn't wearing my hospital scrubs home. I was showering every day after work. I was very meticulous about going between rooms and um, doing hand hygiene and changing the PPE. But the problem was I was going in these rooms and I kept smelling things. Like I would open the cranberry juice and I could be smell, get a great smell of the cranberry juice. Or if someone was having some incontinence of their bowel, I could definitely smell that also. And, you know, when we think about being fit tested for N95, you're not supposed to smell things, especially not that sweet smell. But I just like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I just got to do my job. Like it's a pandemic and I just kept pushing forward. But then when I was, I don't know, just was going and doing my job and just kind of getting stuck in that day to day. And then one day I felt like I was having like a bit of a sore throat. And it was just like, oh, you know, a sore throat. Any other day I would like have a hot cup of tea and move on and keep on working. But, you know, I was very concerned about being around my coworkers and being around other patients that didn't have COVID. So I did go and get tested. And then at that time, at the urgent care I went to, they said it would take 10 days to get your result for testing. 10 oh, days. Goodness. 10 um, days. But because I was an employee, they, they um, bumped it up. So it did take five days to get my result. And I was quarantining in those five days. And that's when my symptoms started to really progress. So, you know, that sore throat went from like a mild sore throat to a more severe throat, sore throat. And I had that, you know, globus sensation, that lump in your throat feeling. And, and then things started to not taste right. They started to taste bland. And then I was feeling very tired. And then the day came that I just couldn't smell anything. And so it's going to sound gross and I hope someone will laugh, but my husband <laughs> passed gas and he's like, wow, that stinks. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't smell anything. And um, it was freaky. He's like, whoa, hold on. What's going on? You know, like that was a severe loss of sense of smell. Um, yeah. And I don't know if anyone has like essential oils, but we tried opening up essential oils and having me smell them and I, I couldn't smell them. And, and still at that point, I hadn't got my COVID results back yet. So I, I was still kind of in denial. Like I wasn't going to work work, but I was like, oh, everything's fine. It's a sore throat. I'm tired. Could be a cold, you know? And then a doctor from the urgent care called me that night, like at 9 p.m. It was a Sunday to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, but you have COVID and good luck with that. <laughs> That's kind oh, of goodness. how it goes um, because there, there wasn't there wasn't like any, there's nothing you can do. And I think that's, you know, I'll keep explaining here in my journey that the most frustrating thing is that nobody knows much of anything and there's not really much you can do. So from that point forward, I started wearing a mask in my house at all times. I isolated to our um, bedroom and uh, my husband slept in the guest room. We didn't share bathrooms. We didn't share towels. We used paper plates and forks. And, um, you know, it, it was very scary to isolate like that for days and days and days and days. So how many days were you isolated total care? Well, so part of the confusing part is, is like, when are you not 
contagious anymore. Yeah. So, right, right. so, you know, the hospital at the time was using two negative COVID tests. But when I called my doctor, they're like, oh, no, we're not going to re-COVID test you because it's probably going to show up positive And, you know, you could still, you know, swab with COVID, but maybe not be shedding. So, you know, a lot of the direction says, you know, if it's, it's 10 days after your fever or um, two days after your symptoms stop, but if your symptoms don't stop, are you still shedding the virus and are you still spreading COVID or are you post-viral? Right. So that, that's what was really confusing about it all. Yeah, it just, it made it really scary because it, you know, you don't want to leave your house. You don't want to infect your family members. You don't want to go back to work. It's difficult. Yeah. We had a family member that, that got pretty sick too. And she, you know, it finally got better. And I think it had been maybe like two weeks still. And she's like, what, you know, can I come over? Can I come see the kids? And you know, my husband was like, no, not till you have a negative test. And her doctor would not let her get a negative one for the same reasons that you said. And, you know, my husband was kind of a stickler about it. I was like, it's been two weeks. I think she's okay. Like it's been two weeks and she's had any symptoms. And he was like, no, we need to get her retested. But then she brought her doctor, gave her a letter from the CDC that said something like that. that they didn't want people getting retested. So I just threw my hands up in the air. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't want to like jump ahead in my story. So I'll get more to that. Like how to get back to work and everything. But, but really talking about the height of the illness, my, my biggest issue was shortness of breath. And so I'm like a very busy person. Like I like to be moving around at all times doing things. I never kind of sit down and relax. And you know, acute care therapist, like I'm pretty much standing all day. I'm running around units. I'm pushing beds. I'm pushing the K-Pentax cart. I'm, you know, wearing heavy leads. Like I'm, it's a physical job. And then all of a sudden I could barely take a shower or eat a meal or um, stand for a prolonged period of time without getting very short of breath. And it, it's a scary feeling because um, it came with chest tightness, lots of chest tightness, and and I, I couldn't have a conversation. I'd be gasping for air. And so all I could really do was just sit still, and then everything would be fine. But it's really hard to sit still and be alone for days and days and days on end. Yeah. So. Yeah. How long after you were, so you said you started having the symptoms, and it was five days till you actually got the positive test. How long was it till you started experiencing this really bad shortness of breath? It was probably about like six or seven days after being tested. It was weird because I kept thinking like, oh, I'm fine. Like, I don't feel so well, but I'm fine. Like, I wasn't feeling as fatigued as I was at the beginning. But then I would try to do something and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do anything. Um, so I'll get short of breath, like trying to sing in the shower or trying to carry my cat around or trying to walk up the stairs. I'd have to like stop and like, <sighs> catch my breath and take a minute. And it, it really freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. How long did that go on for? Oh, like that shortness of breath feeling happened for about two months, but it just mattered on like what level of activity. So, you know, like two weeks of being home sick with COVID, I was like, well, this shortness of breath thing, like, I got to make it better. I can't stand this. I'm getting weak by just laying around. Um, so I got myself an EMST 150, and I made myself do the EMST 150, you know, just like we learn how to do with our patients, the five sets of five reps. And I went and 
figured out my one rep max and it was the absolute lowest part of the device. Amazing. Which it was so pitiful. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't even blow this thing. So I did that and I would, I would try to take some walks around my neighborhood with a mask on and like, you know, walk, you know, down the block, stop, catch my breath, check my pulse out, you know, let my numbers get back to normal, keep going again. Cause I was so convinced that I'm, I'm not going to let this debilitate me. And, you know, I was trying to do my own, you know, pulmonary rehab while I was ill. But yeah, when I was walking and I had the pulse oximeter on my finger, my pulse ox was going down to the 70s. Like, it was legit. So, I don't know. Yeah. Did, so, tell me, did you have any sort of like, like you said, you did your own pulmonary rehab on yourself. <laughs> did you have any sort of doctor kind of guiding you through this or, or how were you, how were you figuring this out? So, um, at my workplace, when you get sick with COVID, they do have a, um, a nurse call you and kind of check and make sure everything's okay. And the nurses, a lot of times, would ask you about your symptoms. I think they were keeping a record of them. And then they would be like, okay, well, make sure you rest and get fluids, which is like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm drinking fluids till the end of time and I'm resting. But like, you know, and then they would say like, oh, well, make sure you try to walk around a little bit. And But it would be hard because different nurses would call me and, and one nurse would be like, oh, you need to move around more. You know, you're letting yourself sit too much. And then another nurse would be like, oh, no, 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 you need to relax more. <laughs> So there, there wasn't really any clear thing to do, but I just kept thinking about, you know, the patients that we see in the hospital that are having respiratory problems. You know, the physicians want them sitting up in the chair. The physicians want them taking deep breaths. The physicians want them to be, you know, moving around as much as they can to keep the, that lung, the lungs from getting stiff and everything. So that's, that's kind of where I was taking it, that I just needed to keep trying and pushing myself. I also was proning myself. I don't know how much that was helping, but I was just like, well, I'll just do everything, I guess. Yeah, yeah I don't blame you. I, yeah, I would have too. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, I, I hate to, this is a this is a very safe place for evidence-based practice, but I was doing some things that maybe didn't have a ton of evidence that were had emerging evidence, like they were saying melatonin works. So I was just taking melatonin. I don't know. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying melatonin. I tried zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. I mean, because those are things you can just I just bought them online and had them shipped to the house and whether they actually helped or not I'm, I'm not really sure but you know it couldn't hurt and I, I wasn't eating well because nothing had any taste so I didn't want to taste and then when my taste finally came back just a little bit all I could taste was sweet things and sour things so all I wanted was cookies <laughs> or like relish. I mean you deserve it Carrie you have eaten COVID <laughs> There's like a day where I just got a box of cookies and just that was my meals, just working through the cookies. So I just didn't want to eat anything. Yeah, I know. So there, there isn't a lot of guidance out there for people who have like a mild to moderate COVID on what they're supposed to do or take. And at one point I did go to the emergency department and they gave me a shot of dexamethasone, which is a steroid, which, you know, a lot of the patients in the hospital are getting for COVID. But I'm not sure. I mean, it made me feel better at the time, but I'm not sure how much it did, you know. For the long term, yeah. For the long term. What, what had happened that prompted you to go to the ER? Well, you know, the the nurse from my employer kept calling and, oh, yeah, I'm still feeling shortness of breath. Oh, yeah, I'm still feeling shortness of breath. And I think they were thinking, okay, well, it's been two, three weeks of shortness. It was about two weeks of shortness of breath that had still hadn't gone away. And so, you know, I think when you call your primary care physician and say, I'm having shortness of breath, 
they have to say, we'll go get a chest x-ray, right? We go get the imaging. So I did go to the emergency department of my workplace and they did do a chest x-ray and they did blood work and they did vitals. And because I'm just sitting still, everything was fine. And, and my blood work was fine too. Um, because, you know, I'm, I was a healthy person before all this. So there's not a whole lot that got screwed up from COVID. And strangely, my chest x-ray was clear, but I was still having the shortness of breath symptom and like chest pain and chest tightness. Wild. So there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't really anything they could do for it, which was fine. I didn't want to be admitted. I didn't. Yeah, right. You know, what's so wild that you say that is kind of before all this started, my husband, I, we're pretty convinced had COVID at the beginning of the year before, before it all, all came out. And that he was convinced he had lung cancer. And I think they sent him for like three chest x-rays and they were like, you, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with your lungs. And like he, same thing. I mean, he's been an athlete his whole life and he was just like, <gasps> like when he would just try to go up the stairs and this was after, you know, a, a, about a two week long illness, you know, he just seems to be like textbook of, of exactly what you're describing right now, which is just wild. But yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was really bizarre. And like, I was kind of mad there wasn't anything on my chest right. x-ray, but then I had to remind myself like, no, care, this right, is good. Right. We don't want a chest x-ray filled with infiltrates and opacities and, you know, so, but yeah, it, it is very strange. Um, and I, I know people I've talked to that said that have went through similar things where, you know, their chest x-ray was essentially negative, but they were still having a lot of breathing trouble. So it's just hard to know like where that shortness of breath, if it's stiffness or if it's not necessarily showing up like a chest x-ray is not sensitive enough for it. But, but boy, I got the whole workup because, you know, we love as speech therapists, we love, love imaging, we love tests, we love knowing what's going on. And, and when I did end up going back to work, I, I, I was basically told I had to come back to work because um, my symptoms are post-viral and there wasn't really a reason for me to be at home anymore, that I needed to go back to work and it, it was time. Um, so my PCP wouldn't, wouldn't grant me any more time off because I was gone long enough that I needed a medical leave of absence. So how long was that exactly, Kara? That was a month. That was like a month and a few days. So then my, my PCP couldn't clear me to, or could she, she couldn't say based on my chest x-ray in my labs that there was any reason for me to to be out of work still, even though I honestly felt like I was still spreading COVID, but I guess I was more long COVID or post viral. And when that distinction, you know, starts and stops, it's not clear to me, but, but I did end up going back to work and I was so happy to go back to work and see everyone. And it was so nice, but I, I couldn't do anything at work. Like I couldn't walk around. I couldn't stand. I couldn't wear x-ray lids. I, I couldn't do anything. And then the second day back from work, I was showering after work. And then I got out of the shower and just laid on the floor and then just spent the rest of the night there. That's like how spent I was. But it's like, you know, if you're having that long COVID fatigue, there's no way to measure it. You know, I can't say like, normally I can do this, but I can't. Like, these are all the things I do, but now I can't do these things. So part of my COVID experience was learning how to conserve my energy which I know we talk about sometimes with our patients too, but then it became very real of like what that meant conserving energy yeah. and how to make that work for you. Yeah. Oh. Crazy. So then, yeah. so were you going back into patient care? Like they weren't, yeah, I guess that's just what's so tricky is that they just don't know, you know, when you stop being contagious anymore. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, my, my, my PCP basically said, well, you know, you, it's been this long since you've had COVID. We're not going to COVID test you again because we're not supposed to, but, but everything is fine with you, you know, vital wise and labs and chest x-ray. So it's time for you to go back to work. But then I, I got back to work and I was miserable and I ended up going to a pulmonologist within that first week back to work just to be like, no, no, this, there's something still wrong. I'm still having trouble. And at the pulmonologist's office, and it's a pulmonologist I work with, he basically said the same thing, like it's taking people, some people weeks, to some people months. We'll do a walk study. So they did a walk study and it was a six minute walk to see if I desaturate. And at that point, point I could get to six minutes of walking, but our job is so much more than six minutes of walking um, because they furloughed our transport. So I might have to do six minutes of pushing oh, a bed down to x-ray, or I might have to do 15 minutes of standing an x-ray wearing heavy leads. And so I, I passed my walk study, but then the pulmonologist ended up writing me a letter saying that I needed light duty. Because I, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that I don't want to, I already feel like I put a lot of stress on our department by being gone for a month. You know, and I didn't want to come back and be like, well, I can't do this, you know, without having something to say, like, you're not supposed to do this. You know, I, I needed that in order to give myself permission to take these rest breaks and things like that. Right. So did they did they end up giving getting you transport help again? Uh, it, it's it's hit or miss. Yeah. So yeah. we're still we're still kind of transporting, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, goodness. OK, so so where are we now? How, how much how long past? onset of COVID. So then that was, that was like a, you know, um, probably like six or seven weeks. But then I, you know, I still wasn't feeling well. Like I still wasn't feeling like myself. I still couldn't taste or smell. I still was tired all the time. I still was getting short of breath. But with that shortness of breath always came like chest pain and chest aching. And that kind of thing made me the most nervous because, you know, they tell females like, you know, if you're having chest pain, you need to take that seriously. You know, a chest pain could be a sign of other heart problems. And so that, that's when I, I talked to one of the cardiologists I work with and I'm like, listen, I, I'm still having chest pain from COVID. Like it happens when I do activity. Like I tried to make soup as part of my recovery. I tried to chop up vegetables, which I would always do. And I, I had to stop because the chest pain was so bad from like the work of cutting three sweet potatoes, which is so, it seems so pitiful. Um, but like, if I start to feel a chest pain, I would stop. So they ended up doing an echocardiogram and a stress test on me. But then this is going to sound like the podcast of care being a hypochondriac, because both of those were fine too. But I, I really think like with COVID, it, it's not necessarily picking up these things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it is turning into that podcast. Uh, so you're fine. Well, and that's what people keep saying. You know, I mean, your story is just as consistent as so many others. And I think that's what's just so wild about all this. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, you know, the, well, the, the cardiologist told me, like, even if we don't find anything, you should never bet on your heart. And that made me feel better. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, it's my right to know that my heart is working safely and have any symptoms. Let's just go ahead and do it. So good, good. those things were normal. And then, let's, you know, as the weeks went on, I was able to, you know, move around without getting short of breath. And I was able to not have that chest pain and chest tightness anymore. But I still don't think I'm back to normal. Like, I still can't totally work out like I used to. And I'm still having lots of issues with muscle fatigue, um, especially with my scoping hand. Oh, no. It gets real 
twitchy when I tried to engage my muscles too much, and then my whole fees video is like shaking. Oh no! So it's like weird stuff like that. Still can't really taste properly. Like I can taste some things, but not everything. And my sense of smell is really hit or miss, also. It's crazy. Yeah, and it it's just like things where you're like. It makes you really appreciate the neuro quality of everything. You know, we think about our neuro patients, and you know, after a stroke, how you kind of see them kind of ebb and flow with their skills. And I definitely felt that with my my smell. Like smell would come, smell would go, smell would come, smell would go. There'd be like no rhyme or reason to it. It made me think about like, oh well, this is probably why sometimes my patients look good, and sometimes they don't look good. It's because you know, these neuro things seem to kind of come in and out and have good times and bad times. Yeah. But yeah. Did you, did you, speaking of neuro, did you have any of, of those symptoms or anything? You know, some people. Well, yeah. was, I'm laughing about it because uh, my dad was convinced that I was going to have cognitive problems and not know that I had them. And so he, oh, when I was like acutely ill, uh, my dad did not want to report from me. He wanted a report from my husband. <laughs> oh, funny. Oh, funny. You know, and that's just what my dad, like, you know, from having parents with dementia, you know, he, he's, he's like, oh, no, no, we, we got to get, get the report because maybe, maybe I'm not aware of things I'm missing or something. But, I, you know, I don't know if I had brain fog or it was just from not doing anything. You know, like I didn't feel sharp when I went back to work because I hadn't worked for over a month. But I, I did try to keep my brain very active while I was, you know, quarantining and staying still. So I was crocheting blankets and doing cross stitch and doing all sorts of silly stuff that involved not okay. moving. Yeah. Yeah. Except your fingers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wild. Okay. So how, so how long has it been, Kara? It's been, what, probably six months now since you've had COVID? It was August 13th was my positive test. Okay. So what's that? Five months? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. And you're still just not back up to normal yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, you know, I think is important to share with professionals who are listening to this is that, when I tried to come back to work, I did have to go meet with employee health. And at that time they redid my screening for an N95 mask. And so that N95 mask is the mask you're supposed to wear in a COVID room. And it's meant to have a seal, sorry. Um, and you're meant to pass a fit test. So they, they put the mask on you and they put a special hood over your head and they spray some saccharin that has a smell and a taste. And then they have you kind of move your head around and read and um, jump up and down. Before I could even you know put the hood over my head, I put the mask on and the employee health nurse was like, oh, that mask doesn't fit you. You should have never passed. Goodness gracious. And the, the issue she said is that maybe before you had some fat on your neck and you've lost some weight since then and the, the mask wasn't making a seal with the bottom of your chin and it should never hang down. But, you know, I think as a healthcare employee doing fit testing every year for the past nine or 10 years, it's always like, well, what mask do you normally fit on? Okay, here we go. Let's just get it over with. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't even think that the person who had fit tested me before even looked for that. Yeah, yeah or that I knew that that was part of it, that it's supposed to make a seal all around. Do you think, Kara, that's something that we learned as all this information progressed? Do you think we didn't really thoroughly understand the importance of all this? Oh, I think so. I think I didn't think really yeah. N95 mask very seriously before. Well, and before, the only time I'd ever really have to wear them was for a TB, if it was a TB rule out, and that was very rare. It was like once or twice a year we'd have somebody with TB. Yeah. 
And so I just was like, eh, whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my message out there to everyone is take your fit test seriously. Yeah. Because that, that mask is your line of defense. And if you don't, you know, you can do all the hand hygiene you want, but if you're going in these rooms and you're just breathing in COVID. Right. Did you guys have any paper masks or anything like that? So we, we do have a, a paper mask that I'm using now, but my department does not. Okay. And so I've been working on advocating for getting one for the department because right now I'm borrowing the one that belongs to the ICU, which is fine because the ICU, you know, loves speech therapy and they know that when I'm going in these rooms, I'm, you know, I'm doing a good job and I'm doing what I need to do. I'm not just wearing the paper for fun or fashion. Right, right. <laughs> Absolute fashion. Absolutely. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just such a confusing time because, you know, I was talking to other therapists and they were saying, oh, well, if you don't fit it at 95, you can wear a full face um, respirator. But those full face respirators, those plastic respirators that, you know, snap on with the interchangeable filters, those can't be used at my hospital because we don't have the disinfection capabilities to clean them between use. So it's hard because we're, we're trying to follow rules, but rules are stopping us from getting what's safest. You know, I, I don't know. Right, right. It's a confusing time. It is, it is. Yeah, how do you feel about the vaccine coming out? And what, what are your thoughts on, I guess, hoping that we're now seeing the light at the end of the tunnel of this? I just feel like they wouldn't be pushing this out if it wasn't safe. Yeah. And they're, they're showing that it's effective. And I did read a New York Times article that talked about that even if you've had COVID, if you've had COVID plus the vaccine, you are like the ultimate protected, which is oh, like, beautiful. right. They're saying, go ahead and get it. And you'll be even more protected than someone else. But I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get the vaccine. And, you know, hopefully my husband can as soon as possible too. And hopefully my family can, and, you know, as this rollout happens. And I hope that we see that this, these numbers really start to go down with the vaccine. Yeah. Have they, um, have they talked to you about it? You know, Cause I feel like this is still unknown, but I don't know as a, as a survivor, if, if they've talked to you about this, like how long the antibodies may last or, you know, that I know there's talk of the T cells, you know, I guess if it is a while before you get the vaccine, did they give you an idea of how long you think you have antibodies for? I mean, a lot of stuff out there is saying like three months, but I think it's longer than that because I have been um, donating convalescent plasma. And so when you go to Red Cross and you donate your plasma and it's for convalescent purposes, they will test for your antibodies and say if they're present or absent. Oh, cool. Okay. So I still have my antibodies and then I'm, cool. you know, I'm giving plasma to help some patient out there who who might yeah. you know barely benefit from it yeah how often can you do that um for females they say every two weeks but i feel like i, I need a little bit more than that because it it really wipes you out when you have that plasma removed from you that's okay well cool i love that you're doing that Kara. yeah let's see anything anything else we should cover i think we covered everything i think, I think you covered it all i think i hope this will be a good one for people to listen to because i've had so many people message me okay well how did your husband not get COVID? what exactly did you do and what were your symptoms like and when did it stop and yeah you know amazing i'm not saying i'm the expert on it but i, I definitely tried my best to navigate it and share my story with the world because I think at the time, you know, in the summer, people were really starting to not care about it anymore. They were just over it. They wanted college football. They wanted to go back to school. They just, you know, they didn't want to hear it anymore. 
you know, a lot of people minimize it. And some people, their experiences with COVID are they have no symptoms at all, or they have a headache for a few days and it's nothing. And then other people get pretty sick and then other people get very, very sick, you know, and it, it's, it's not really clear as to who gets what and why. But we know if you've got other health problems like, you know, obesity or diabetes, that's when we see very, very sick people in the hospital, you know, and I've had lots of patients who are in their 20s, 30s and 40s that had to be on the ventilator that I helped rehab. So it's a real thing. Yeah. How are you? How are you doing? I think mentally, Kara, being, you know, how many months into this pandemic and you're just seeing patients I'm sure you've seen some patients not survive. Yeah, I I think the hardest thing is, you know, I work in a community hospital. And so we we do see a lot of, you know, I hate to say repeat offenders, but we do see a lot of familiar faces that maybe they've been here before and they've been in our inpatient rehab and they've been back on the acute floors. And, you know, they they live in a nearby assisted living or nursing home where you you do get to know them and their family after a while. And I, I did see a lot of those people end up passing and that's just you know it's just sad for them and their family um and it's sad to hear about the outbreaks at our nearby nursing homes and it's sad to hear about the outbreaks at the nearby alfs because you know those are a lot of the patients that i serve and you know people in my community so it it is really stressful and then i feel like we're letting visitors in our hospital and and the visitors are supposed to wear a mask, but there's lots of times when the visitors are not wearing masks and it's like, Oh, please take it seriously for us. You know, like when, when you come into the hospital, you're another person that I'm having to interact with and I can't know who you've been around, you know, and, and you need to take that seriously. And it's been a little frustrating you know, to, to see people get so sick from COVID and to see people struggle and get it, get sick myself and then see people in the community come and they just don't really take it seriously. And, you know, I, I just want to be able to go back to normal so bad. I told my coworkers, I just want to go out to a Mexican restaurant. I want each of us to order a different margarita and then each sip from each other's margaritas and, then, and then all eat from the same bowl of guacamole. I said, that's yes. all I want to do. <laughs> It's so gross to think about, isn't it? I know it. Well, it is. I mean, you just used to think about how we, you know. I just want to sample your margarita and then you drink out of it too. That's all I want to do. I just want to have a happy hour. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, Kara, I love it. Yeah. All right. Any, any final thoughts you want to share? No, no, I I did share those. There's a couple articles I shared about, you know, how to manage patients with COVID-19 in acute care and with trachs as my, my special articles. You know, when you think about those game-changing articles as an acute care therapist, when COVID is happening and we don't know what's going on, what was I saying? Oh, as an acute care therapist, when, you know, COVID is new and we're not sure that we're doing the best thing, you know, those, those articles that have come out pretty quickly have been really helpful to kind of validate, like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Like, okay, you know, I, I am important. I'm needed here in the hospital and, you know, I'm helping these patients transition from from being orally intubated to now being breathing on their own, eating a diet or helping those patients um, who had to be um, trached to help transition off the trach and transition to eating again. And I will say that fees has been super helpful with doing that. Good. Awesome. So it's good to have fees back. Very important. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. 
right. Well, thank you so much, Kara, for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I promise I'll have you back on in happier times. I know. Yeah. Have me back <laughs> on and we can talk about stage associations or I don't yes. know. Okay. Good. All sorts of fun stuff. Something right. fun. Good. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. All right. Well, you have a good day. All right. Thanks, Kara. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.